in and of themselves have incredible power as outlined in Scripture to transform your life. But you notice that we don't just come at it from your life, but also the world around you. Any genuine transformation in your life ultimately should and will impact people around you, right, and your world. And that's what we're, we're meant to be. We're meant to be history makers and earth shakers and, and, and change leaders, right? So this morning we um, have an interesting one, and it is this, throw. And the tagline is this, what we sang this morning, give it up and let it go. This, is, this would be one of the more thematic services that we've had in a while to where things really do kind of run together. And uh, there is kind of a common thread, a theme that has flowed through the service. And uh, so this morning as we go forward, we want to talk about uh, this word as we find it in, a certain, in, 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 in one primary place in Scripture and, 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 of course, suggested in several others. I want to talk about how we deal with stress, with cares, with anxiety, with our lives. Amen? Um, because you thought 10 years ago things were going to get better. And in some ways they do, and in some ways you find the world becomes a more complicated place. Uh, you thought you'd, by the time this time in your life you'd have all the answers, right? Did you think that? By the time I get blank years old, right, it should all come together for me? And uh, now you're left with more questions than answers. You thought you'd have your future all figured out, everything you had planned, everything you had, had schemed and, and strategized, and, uh, yeah, schemed and strategized. You thought that by this place, and you find that life going forward continues to be perplexed and complex and, and, and to raise sometimes more questions than you have answers for. If that is where you are, don't despair. You're in good company. Um, that's not an unusual place to be, and, it's not, and you're not alone. Um, as a matter of fact, sometimes I think, with, apart from, you know, we sang this morning briefly, you know, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we talk about the surety and the certainty we have because we stand on the solid ground of our confession in Jesus Christ. That is, that is unwavering. That is a sure thing. That is something that I bet my life on. That is the foundation that undergirds everything that I do and everything that I am. On the other hand, sometimes we assume a degree of certainty about a lot of other things around us that the Bible doesn't necessarily guarantee us, right? I'll, maybe you'll understand it a little bit more as we go, go forward. So in the midst of these turbulent and, and interesting and chaotic times, I wanna, this morning I want to remind you to, to, to remember to throw, okay? Not throw up, but to throw, okay? Give it up and let it go. Look at this, this, this and this is this verse here, and in the midst of this passage we'll use as our, as our, as our text this morning. And this is 1 Peter 5, 7 from the Common English Bible, uh, and, and this is what Peter writes. He says, throw all your anxiety onto him, who do you think him is? I'm glad you know that. Why? Because he cares for you. That's one of those things in church we say all the time. We remember the choir, the Voices of Grace. Remember them? Remember we used to have a song, cast all your cares upon the Lord. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. Why don't you cast all your cares? You know, blah, 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 blah. And, we, and that's good church talk. It's good, it's good Christian counsel. It's good, it's good, you know, God speak when we're around the people that, you know, that know our language, right? We say, cast, just remember, cast all your cares on, I'm casting all my cares on the Lord. I'm, in, in, the, in, in this sense, I'm throwing all my cares on the Lord. But you know what? It's easier said than done. Easier said than done. Um, it's something that doesn't come automatically. 
You don't wake up every morning and say, you know, I'm, I'm so great today. I'm all my, you know, you, you may have, if you, maybe you've memorized a speech, but throughout the, the course of your day, throughout the course of your week, throughout the course of your life, you, you encounter situations, we encounter stuff, and we have to make this conscious choice and this effort, and sometimes it doesn't come easy to do, but we have to make this choice of whether we want to carry all of our own burdens, all of our own concerns, all of our own anxiety, all of our own fears, all of our own stuff, or whether we really want to learn to cast that stuff on the Lord. We want to throw it. Whether we want to, do you want to stow it or do you want to throw it? That's if you have a hoarder in your family, tell them, do you want to stow it or are you going to throw it? You're going to keep it or are you going to reject it? Are you going to, are you going to hold on to it? Sometimes we embrace our, our, our issues. We embrace our anxieties. We embrace our trauma and our drama. Why? Because they give us something to talk about. They give us an excuse to be, to be difficult or to be morose or to be hard to deal with. They give us an excuse to, to, to not in, to participate and not get involved. So, so we, not, not only do we not throw them, but we embrace them. We embrace our anxieties. We embrace our worries. We say, well, that's just the way I was. My mama was like that. My daddy was like that. Maybe I'm just like my father, you know. <laughs> it's not the point. <laughs> Jesus says, I don't care who you're like. I don't care what your family experience is. The Bible says what you need to learn to do is to trust God above everything and, and learn and it's, it's, an, it's a process, it's a journey, but we learn to throw all of our anxiety onto him because he cares about us. Now, it reminds us of, of a verse in the Old Testament in Psalm 55:22, and, and this is what, what, what was written in the Old Testament. It says, cast your burden. Cast, it's another word for throw, right? Except when you're, you know, playing baseball. Don't say, hey, come on, man, cast the ball. <laughs> You'll get slapped, right? But cast your burden or throw your burden you know, even on, on the Lord, he will support you. God will never let the righteous be shaken, right? And the idea is that you got to, the idea inherent in this is that you, you cast your burden, you cast your anxieties on the Lord. Why? Because of his big, strong shoulders that are able to carry the burden and to carry you. And the promise of Scripture is this, that he will support you. And I was looking at this verse, I was saying, cast your burden on the Lord, he will support you. And so it's like you cast your burden, but you know what, you can, it's really kind of synonymous with casting yourself onto the Lord, because it means, Lord, I'm, putting, I'm placing my world and my stuff and my issues and my concerns and my pain and my gain and everything, I'm putting it on you. It means I'm just casting myself on you, and I know that you're able to support me and uphold me no matter what I'm going through. Sometimes we, we, we say, man, I sure need somebody to, to support me and to, to encourage me during this time. Well, he is able, he will support you, and he will never let the righteous be shaken in the sense that, you know, we will shimmy, <laughs> but we'll never be shaken. You understand the difference? I could grab a with you and kind of grab your shoulders and just give you a nice little shake and say, how you doing? Aren't you glad I'm not that kind of pastor? God bless you. They call me Pastor Whiplash. I think that's what they call my wife when she was learning to drive. Didn't they call you Whiplash in driver, driver's training? But, but. But we get, we get a little, you know, life will kind of gyrate us and, and, and agitate us a little bit. But ultimately, you know, when you talk about really being shaken, you think about a building in the midst of an earthquake and you're watching a, a film from 
some time past, maybe, some, they had an, uh, maybe someone had a crude video camera in 1906 in San Francisco, and you see the ground shake, and you see a building that shakes, and like now you'll see a building shake, and the, the, now they say that skyscrapers are supposed to kind of, ro- they have, they're on rollers, and they're supposed to flex. We hope that's so, right? Because <laughs> they're building a lot of them downtown, Dimitri, and you know, so I don't know if I want to be down there when it's raining glass, right? But we hope that that's the case. But back in the day, when, they, when you know those buildings were made of unreinforced masonry, and they would just nicely just disassemble and fall apart into a, a heap of rubble. But you know what? I'm so glad that my life is not going to disintegrate into a heap of rubble. That my life is, I'm not going to be shaken apart, that I'm not going to, to be shaken at, my, at the core of my foundation, that I will stand firm and stand tall. I, I believe that I, I can make it. I believe that you can too as we continue to learn to trust God. Now, I'm gonna give you, let me give you a few points out that I get from this passage, and we'll look at the verses around this verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. And the first thing that I want to suggest to us this morning is this. I am not, and this is you and me, not just me. I am not. This is what you, you got to realize. I am not God. You are not God. Now, wh- 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 why do I say that? Well, because you notice the first thing that Peter says in verse 6. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under God's power that he may raise you up in the last day. Notice what he says. He says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. The first step in learning to throw is realizing that you that you need to cast your burdens, your anxieties, your fears, your issues, your baggage onto somebody that is greater than you because you cannot handle it. Right? Some of you still trying to prove that you can. Famous last words, I got this. <laughs> For some of you, that's your problem. You got it. You need to throw it. But he says you, what you got to do is you got to humble yourself under God's power so that he may raise you up in the last days because you're not God, I'm not God, we're not God. I'm really glad of that because I would not be a very good God. I'm not very powerful and not so smart all the time. And if I was God, I would just hook everything up the way I wanted it. And I wouldn't be thinking about you as much. You're not God, I'm not God. I don't have the power, you don't have the power. We are human, we are finite, we're limited, we're, we're, we're fallible, we are, we, we, we are prone to failure, we're prone to weakness, we're prone to fatigue. We have issues and flaws and things that God is working out in our lives. You are not God, I am not God. And the first, that, that's one of the things that, re, that leads me to realize that I must learn to throw certain things off because I cannot Handle them no matter how hard I try. You keep trying to become capable in yourself. You'll never do it. The life of faith is a life of learning dependence on someone who is so much bigger and stronger than you. One of those wimped out kind of songs they used to sing back in the 60s. And I heard people try to make a gospel song about it, out of it a few times, but it's not so convincing. But, you know, somebody bigger than you and I. You or I. And they, who is that? Well, we're not going to say the name, but, you know. Who made the mountains? Who made the trees? Who made blah, 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 right? And, but this somebody bigger than you or I is not just some force in the universe, not just some undisclosed and unnamed power, but we know him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is revealed uh, in the Old Testament, the God of, of, the, of Israel, the God of, of Scripture, the God and Father in the New Testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
the God who came to us in the person of Christ, who came and lived among us, took on our humanity, who lived and died, a, a God who suffered on our behalf and, and bore our sins in his body on the tree that we being alive to sin, to, 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 to righteousness might die to sin, a God who has all, all power, a God who we believe that is the, the power behind everything that is, a God that, that, that is capable of doing absolutely anything. You're not God. I'm not God. So with our, our ability to throw and to cast and to, and to delegate our anxiety, if you will, begins with that realization that you're not God. Uh, the next point is this, if I can get to it. Uh-oh, come on here. Da-da-da. God really does care about me. You humble yourself realizing that, hey, uh, I need God to lift me up in the last day because I can't lift myself up, and I need to place my concerns and my cares on him. And the reason why he says you can do that and the reason why you can throw your anxiety on him is because he genuinely and really and authentically cares about, and then, you know, the, uh, some of the other translations say for, but to put it in more contemporary and sim- simple, t- straightforward terms, God cares about you. Do you believe that? Yes. Now, come on, this is church. You, you know, so I know you're supposed to say that stuff. You feel, you feel like you say, if I, now, if you were to say, I don't know, you'd think the usher's going to come and escort you out, right? You know, I mean, even Max, if he were here, he would say, amen. Because yeah, he says, that's my amen corner, right? But, but you, really, I know you, you I know we, we, we mentally and, you know, and religiously, we say, we believe, I believe God cares about me. Let me ask you this question. If you believe that God cares about you, if you believe that he knows everything about you, if you believe that he knows your beginning and your end, if you, if you believe that he made you and that the very hairs on your head, or if you don't have hair, at least the follicles or even the dead ones, or even the hairs in your wig or whatever, I don't care, your toupee. Uh, the hairs on you, you know, uh, that what everything about you is numbered, everything about you, God sees every molecule of, you know, of your existence. Why then is it for us it is so hard to trust him? Do we really believe that he cares about us? Do we really believe that he has our best interest at heart? Do we really believe that he that he wants good for our lives, or do we sometimes in the back of our minds believe or feel as though, I know this is probably too good to be true. Because, see, you know with some people, it's like this. You know, been, so, been down so long that down feels like up. For some people, it's like this. It's like you have encountered so much tragedy in your life, so much pain, so much rejection, so much trauma, so much negativity, so much ugliness that when goodness and when blessing and with love and with joy and with peace and, and those things come around, you can't handle it. And there's something inside you that said, because the enemy has deceived you into thinking that you're not good enough and you're not in yourself, but that you're not good enough to receive the blessings of God. And you're not good enough and important enough that Jesus will really care about you. He cares about you in the sense that, yeah, he's got all these people, these billions of people, and yeah, you're one of them, so yeah, hope, you know, I'm going to help them all kind of make it to the end. 
But I, I believe that this suggests to, to you and to me that he cares about every minute detail of every one of our individual lives. He knows you by name. He knows you personally, and he, is, he cares about you. He cares about your situation. He cares about the specifics of what you're going through and what you're dealing with. He cares about you. He really does, and he knows you personally. And sometimes we have a hard time that seems rather abstract and out there. And then because of our past experience, again, you know what? Because sometimes in this world, it seems that it's hard to get people to care about us. And then we go to church, well, they're just telling me that because they want me to feel good since I've been uncared for by so many other people. God just is kind of patting me on the ass and I care about you. Good luck, you know. No. Jesus cares about you. God cares about you cares for you. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about every detail of your life. And it's not because you're so good. And even if, and it, and it, and no matter how bad you may be performing or behaving in a certain area of your life, no matter how messed up your life may be in certain situations, there might be some things about you that you are, you are, you are dreadfully uh, regretful of because there's some things that are yet unresolved in your life that God needs to work out. And because of that, the enemy would say, see, because you, because you still do thus and so, or because you're still battling with this in your life, or because this addiction is, still has a hold on you that somehow God doesn't care about you till you get like the rest of those people and get yourself cleaned up and just dusted off and, and come to church and get yourself right. And then God will really care about you. The more you shout in church, the more you give in the offering, the more he'll care about you. And that's a lie. He cares about you as you are, where you are, in your current state. He cared about you enough to die for you. And what makes you good and what makes you worthy and what makes you lovable and what makes you beautiful in his sight is not you. Because all of us, our righteousness, the Old Testament says, is as filthy rags. What makes you beautiful and what makes you lovable and makes, what makes you wonderful and what makes you the apple of God's eye is not because you've done so good and been at church three weeks in a row or because you gave so much in the offering or because you, you know, held the door, door open for the little old lady at 7-Eleven or anything like that. But the thing about you that makes you lovable and wonderful and embraceable by God is the fact that God chose to love you because he created you to love you. He created you to lavish his grace and his love and his mercy upon and sin tried to separate us from that love and Satan tried to deviate us from that path but God in his wisdom and in his love and in his great mercy the Bible says while we were still sinners Christ died for us and it is not you in your unwashed you know unregenerate self that 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 God loves that 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 or let me put it this way it's not you and your humanity and your in your unvarnished un unregenerate self that that merits the love of God no but it is the fact that when God looks at you he doesn't see your sin he doesn't see your past he doesn't see your failures he doesn't see your mess ups he doesn't see your losses but what he looks at when he sees when he sees when he looks at you is he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus Christ whose death on the cross enabled him to take upon himself our sin and impute to us that is transfer to us his righteousness and, and it's hard to wrap your brain around when you're still messing up the fact that you have become, as a child of God, if you genuinely placed your faith in him, you have become the righteousness of God in Christ, literally. But that's what the Bible says. 
And so he cares about you because he, he created you to love you. He cares about you because he died to save you. He cares about you because the Holy Spirit is involved in, 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 in human affairs to bring us, to draw us to God. He cares about you because he's coming back one day to, to set everything right and, and, and to bring you unto himself so that he can love you and walk with you and enjoy you forever. And you can enjoy him forever. He cares about you. He does. He really does. He doesn't just care about you when you're doing good. Now, verse 8 and 9 gives us one other nuance here. Trust, we're talking about, this is because when we talk about throw, just let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me do the, the televangelist. Turn to your neighbor and say, throw. throw. Now, high five somebody and say, neighbor, throw. <laughs> Slap three people upside. They, no, don't do it. <laughs> Jump down and give me 10 and say, throw. <laughs> But trust is involved in this, but there's something that I got from this text when he talks about trust, because we think of trust sometimes as being this blind, Pollyannish state where we say, wow, I'm trusting in the Lord. It's all good. No, it is all not. Right? Oh, I'm just going to trust in the Lord. Hear no evil, see no evil. It's hard to cover your eyes and your ears, and then you've got to deal with your mouth. But I'm, my nose, I gotta, I'm still smelling evil. You know, you know, we, you know we, we equate trust with some sort of denial where everything is, 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 is already, it's what we call, we talked about this in Bible study, talked about uh, triumphalism and realized eschatology. If you don't know what that is, um, you, you, you come to Bible study, I'll, I'll explain it to you. <laughs> but there's some people, yeah, what it means is that some people, some Christians say, okay, I got this figured out. Everything that we're going to go, we've already got all of it. You believe that? I got a, some land in, in uh, Timbuktu. I was going to say Timbuktu. Then I was going to say, I was going to say like uh, Paramount. I don't know. <laughs> Cudahy, the city of Vernon, to sell you. <laughs> By the battery plant over there. <laughs> you know. But he, look at what he says. He says, can't, he says, throw all your anxiety on, on, on the Lord. He says, while you do that, this is what you do. Be clear-headed. Wow, you know, more than ever, we need clear-headed Christians. People that, can, that, that will dare to think biblically, but think critically and think clearly. That will not allow the head. Don't even allow religion to fog your mind up. Faith and Christ and the Bible and God and, and Jesus is one thing. But, you know, sometimes we just, we get our minds all drunk. He said, be clear-headed. Stay alert. Keep alert. He said, why? Because you have an enemy. Trust is not denial. It's not all good. I, I, I must attend to, to defense. If I lived in Montana somewhere, I could fancy leaving my door unlocked when I go down to the corner store, leave my windows down, my car unlocked, jumping out the car, going shopping. I could fancy leaving stuff laying around. And I'm probably a fool because I think like the show's like, Cops and stuff, they go all in them places. And they people messing up in Montana and Idaho and all kind of the back places. Wherever there's meth, there's crime, right? <laughs> but, you know, you, you fancy a world and people tell you, I remember when I was a boy. See, when I was a boy, I grew up in, like, South Central, like, about 120th and Central. And, it, and my, 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 this was a while back, but when I was a boy, it was like, you better fasten the door, my dad used to say. <laughs> lock the door. I mean, I was taught to lock the car at, like, five years. Lock the car. Lock the door. Because if you didn't lock it, it would, be, it would disappear. <laughs> That's L.A. 
So, you know, these days I have a, when I, I, what do I ask my wife when she hops in the car on Sunday morning? Did you, no, not did you lock the door. I'm putting the garage door down. It locks itself. Did you turn on, did you set the alarm? I need ADT's help, right? And I got locks on the front door and on the back door and a stick in the sliding glass door so they don't slide open so easy, but they'll just break it. I got a lock on the gate. I got locks on all kinds of stuff. Why? Because, because I've got an enemy, and I don't know who it is, but it, it's somebody with a mask on and, and, a, and a striped shirt. But no, that's, that's uh, but somebody who, who's on the prowl. There are people that are on the prowl trying to, to, to harm me, trying to steal my stuff. Well, the Bible reminds me that, that there's somebody that, 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 that's called the thief, that he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Jesus says, I came that, uh, to give you life and life to the full. But he says, this is what you've got to do. You've got to realize you've got an accuser. There's somebody that's telling you you're no good. There's somebody that's trying to, to appeal to God that you're, that you're a waste of space, that you are, are a sinner because you still have a bad thought every now and then or because you had one lapse on this or something because you must, you know, see there, he's not worthy of your salvation. This guy's a loser. Ah, he's a sinner. He's guilty. And Jesus will continue to report, point the accuser back to the fact that I paid his debt in full on the cross. But you have this accuser, his name is the devil, and guess what? He is on the prowl. So we can never, as God's people, become too complacent, and we can never engage in denial to think that because just, you, just because you got up on and said, Satan, I bind you. <laughs> he said, yeah, I got that. I understand. He said, I, I, I see you. I'll be back. I'll see you in a minute. And then he comes back around. You know, and then, you know it's like. You know, it's like you, you say you're a young lady and some, you know, some dude comes, you know, he comes to you and he's like, you know, hey, you know, I, I think we ought to like go off on a date. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so first of all, he said go off on a date. So that, that's, a, that's a red flag, but you know, he means out of He said, I think, you know, and he's like, you know, he's got, you know, he's got like a lot of tattoos. If any brothers are tattooed, I'm not, I'm not, you know, and a lot of piercings and, and, uh, and um, you know, he's got, he just looks really, I mean, he's got, you know, he's got his, his name tattooed on his forehead or something, you know. And he said, you know, I just, I, I'm like, we are just like, auto, like, you know what I'm saying, go off on a date, you know. And he said, you say, no, no, because my, my father would kill me and you, right? <laughs> so you say no. And then it's like he goes and he takes off, the, takes off the, the, the mask and he comes back all clean cut, you know. He says, hey, how would you like to go out and have some fun, you know. It's the same guy. See, this one, he comes at you, he's on the prowl, he comes, and he's like a roaring lion, but he's not a roaring lion, right? He's looking for someone to, to devour. He comes at you in all kinds of different ways. That's why Paul says in, in, Rome, uh, in uh, Ephesians 6, he says, listen, put on the full, full armor of God that you can withstand the wiles or the tricks of the devil, because he's, he's tricky. You thought Richard Nixon was slick? He's slick. That's where Richard Nixon learned it from. Or, that's where anybody that's slick, anybody that's manipulative, anybody that's got game, guess where they get it from? This fella here. So understand that don't be in denial. Realize, be vigilant every day you get up. Don't be a demon chaser looking for demons under every rock. When things go wrong, you know, like the other day I was sitting at CPK. And I, was, I was getting ready to eat. We were waiting for our food to come. And I was sitting in my booth. And my wife said, Charles, Charles. I'm like, what, what? She said, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, what? And it was a, we had a friend that had joined us for dinner, and he crawled up on the seat, a little brown friend. And I don't do those guys, right? And I'm like, oh, my God. 
And then I kind of stopped, and he kind of went and scurried back under into this thing, you know. And, you know, and the thing about it is, you know, I, I, I said, man, this is like, this is messed up, right? Uh, uh, except in the end, there was a blessing that came out of it because I got, we got one entree free. <laughs> we, we would have had dessert, but we, I'm not doing sugar right now. Uh, they gave us a free flatbready thing. Oh, and, the, and there was, you know, so sometimes you think that things come at you in a, in a guise that you think are, are in, intimidating, and there's, sometimes there's a blessing in them. And then sometimes there are things that seem to be a blessing, and then uh, on the flip side, there's something else. But the bottom line is this. The devil is a, like a roaring lion. He's on, a, on the prowl. He's looking for somebody to devour, and he begins that through the process of deception. And our challenge, while as we throw our anxiety onto God, part of the strategy, throwing your anxiety onto God, is, is part of the way in which we resist him. Because what he wants to do is to allow you and to let you become weighted down under the weight of your own cares and your own anxieties so that you become neutralized in your witness, you become unable to pray, you become burdened by depression and anxiety and fear and worry. And you know when you're going through that real serious worry thing, when worry has taken over, you know that you can't really do anything. It's hard to pray. That's what that's, he's like, I got him right where I want him. You worried about the economy, worried about politics, worried about the government, worried about the nations, worried about the world, worried about the news, reading 17 different newspapers every day. And the enemy says, that's it. Just inundate yourself with all that stuff and, 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 and don't spend that quiet time in the presence of God because as you do that, I'm just going to fill your mind with fear and, and dread and concern and, and worry and you will, be, you will be neutralized with regard to the kingdom of God. You will be neutralized in your ability to, to, to proactively love other people. You will be of no real use to anybody and basically I can wear, the, he would say, I can wear you down and I can shorten your life by that worry and by that anxiety. Now, you won't be, you'll, be, you'll be so self-consumed, you'll be so burdened with your own stuff that you won't be able to, to listen to anybody else's problem because you're so into you because, oh, God, this is just so terrible, what's going on? And when, look what it's doing to me. He says, listen, trust is, I'm saying to you this, trust is not the same as denial. And so we're not talking about denial. Realize you do have an enemy, he's real, and you need to contend with him every day. And so every day as you, before you fill yourself with all of the cares and concerns and the worries of this life, make sure that you allow you, to, uh, that you fill your heart and your mind with the goodness and the wonders of God and who he is, that you remind yourself of what you have in Christ, that you recall what God has done for you in Jesus, that you give thanks. Make sure that you end every day uh, by, by, by thinking about the goodness of God in the, in the course of that day and giving thanks for, for his blessing in your life and that we continue to, to resist the enemy uh, as we throw, as we throw, right? The other thing is this. I'm not alone in the struggle. This is where he goes in verse 9b. He says, do so, do all this what we just said, in the knowledge that your fellow believers are enduring the same suffering throughout the world. As you're throwing your anxiety onto God, as you're tossing stuff off, divesting yourself of worries and cares and fears and concerns that are not yours to, to, to hold, realize this, that whatever you're going through, uh, other members of the body of Christ, your fellow believers all around the world, and the world in their experience at that time, was much smaller than we know it to be now. All over the face of this globe, people, believers in Christ, like you and me, 
are going through the same kinds of things. Why? Because we all have the same enemy who uses the same tactics to accomplish the same objective for the same purpose, right? He says, so do what you do. Throw off your, your, your anxiety and remain vigilant. Understand this because you can be encouraged to know that, because you know that idea that I, like, I'm the only one. Remember Elijah? After Jezebel has him on the run, he holds up in a cave. I guess that was the first uh, example of a man cave. <laughs> minus big screen TV, minus pool table, minus anything. Just a cave. But basically, when God confronts him, it's like, you know, they killed all the prophets, and I'm like the only one left. And that's why he's like at the, at the, at the lowest point of depression a human being seemingly could be at, right? Because when you think you're the only one, there's a few things that go along with that. First of all, the idea that why, why am I single? Some of you are like, okay, you know, we, we read uh, the passage that talked about, you know, uh, you, you, we, we're, uh, we're, 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 you know, we, we can suffer with him, right? He was like, why me and not the rest of them? Because sometimes you look around you, it seems, tell me how many can relate to this? Sometimes it seems like nobody else really, my thing is like unique. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> you know, man, they, nobody ever been through this. This is hard, God. This is, oh my, this is unique. And God said, okay, there's like, what is it, like 6 billion people in the world today. <laughs> you think nobody? I mean, just calculate some kind of, I mean, nobody. Come on. Sometimes, sometimes you just want to pick, pick each If we could be really, really transparent and authentic as a, as a, as a community of, of people who love each other, sometimes we, just want, we, we should give each other permission just to grab us by the collar and shake us a little bit. Just shake me. Thank you. Okay, like, give me a little, my, little slap on the cheek. Oh. No, one more. Oh, that was too hard. But you know, sometimes you just, we need to kind of just say, hey, get over yourself. You're not alone in the struggle. That's the, to that side of it, it's like, don't think that you're that special. On the other side, don't think that you're that special, but also realize that you've got a lot of company, and that's why we need to talk to one another. That's why church is not just going into a theater and sitting in a seat and looking at the show and turning the lights down and, and, and say, yeah, that was really good. Okay, let me get out of here. Time for brunch. No, church is about connecting with people because when you hear people's story, you find out that, wow, I am not the only one. It's, that's, we, we discover that when we get men together and do men's ministry stuff because, uh, you know, guys, we get isolated and, and uh, we're, we tend to be isolated by nature in this culture and then... Sometimes as we get older in life, as we move through life, we open up and then we kind of get closed back down again. And the thing about it is that when you start telling your stories, it's like, wow, you went through that too? That happened to you? You felt that way? Well, that, that you experienced that? That's the way you felt? Wow, I thought it was just me. So realize that you're not alone in the struggle. So be emboldened to throw because you're not alone and you're not on your own. You are in good company. You are in the company of the people of God, all of the saints of the ages. The, in, in, in theology proper, they call it the communion of saints, the, this vast uh, 
cloud of witnesses as referred to in Hebrews that have gone before you. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He says, here are all these people that lived and died by faith. They didn't all get over on this side. It wasn't obvious or evident to them or to the people around them as they were living, but they stayed true to what they believed and they held on to their faithfulness. And so they made it all the way to where God wanted them to be. And so now they serve for us as this tremendous example, this great cloud of witnesses that, that remind us like, wow, if Moses can make it in. And I think if you start thinking about, you know, your, 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 your issues and your concerns. You think, well, you know what? David made a few mistakes. Solomon made a few. And, you know, uh, Moses, you know, Abraham, all of those guys with their flaws, with their humanness, God used them. They all stayed faithful ultimately to, for, to God's purpose in their lives. They, they lived by what they didn't see but believed in. And ultimately, if, that, if they did it, you can do it too. Turn to somebody and say, you can make it too. Now, Number five, the outcome of my life is in God's hands. This is where he takes this, and this is good news. He says, after, now I know you don't want, I, you, this is not, now, this, this is like, you know, preaching 101. It's it. Don't preach this stuff because folks don't want to hear it. And it's hard, so skip over that. But he says, after you have done what? Okay. Oh, man. Yeah, now don't get ahead of me now. Don't. Unless you want to take, I'm going to give you this mic. <laughs> Is it not? That's right. No, but after you've suffered, so it's given that you are, that we do suffer, that we are suffering. We're going through stuff. We are going through tribulation. We are dealing with difficulty in our lives. He said, but here's the good thing about it. God sees the end from the beginning. God has the purpose outlined for our lives, and God knows what, what, what lies ahead. And after you have suffered, and notice that he doesn't say all of your natural life and all through eternity. He says, after you have suffered a little while. Because in, for the most part, and this is why Christians shout and dance and turn over chairs and knock down chandeliers and stuff when they say this, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And see, because somehow down in our sanctified souls, if you will, that there are some of us that have found that there is a certain kind of cyclical aspect to suffering and to adversity. And that's why some, some, somebody said, uh, a couple of hundred years ago, someone from the South that was probably the, the, a slave or the, a descendant of a slave said, I'm so glad trouble don't last always. Right? And so be encouraged because even your current crisis, your current trial, it will only be for a little while. But in the context of the Scripture, if if you suffer through most of your natural life, remember this. And some people do. Some people do. But remember this, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. Think about, the, think about how can you compare 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110 years if you're so blessed. How can you compare that with 10,000 years in the words of John Newton in Amazing Grace or in the, in the in, in the context of reality, you know, you ask the kid, how much is it? Infinity, whatever, that's supposed to be a number, right? An infinite number of years that never ends, billions and billions forever. How do you compare? After you've suffered a little while, 
the God of all grace. What is grace? Grace is favor. God's divine favor, God's unearned, unmerited favor that he bestowed upon us in Christ Jesus. After you've suffered a little while, the the God of all grace, who is the one who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, you are not in the family of God because you applied. You're in because you were invited in. You were called in. You were welcomed in. You were brought in. You were drawn in. And so don't you think if I invite you to the party, I'm going to try to help you have a good time? (laughs) Don't you think if I invite you to the banquet, I'm going to help you find a seat and make sure you get to eat? And don't you think that if I invite you to my restaurant, if there's a little creature on the the seat, that I'm going to comp you one meal? (laughs) Right? He says, (laughs) the one who called you into his eternal glory, he himself. Now, this... There's some things God delegates to you and to me to do on his behalf. But let me tell you something. Peter says this. After, after you've suffered a little while, this is what's going to happen. God himself. Yes. He's not going to wait on nobody else to do it. It doesn't matter what the preacher does. It doesn't matter what the church does. It doesn't matter about the economy, the state of the government. It doesn't matter about politics. It doesn't matter about the, uh, uh, socioeconomic concerns or, or geopolitical concerns. He says the God of all grace, the one who called you into his eternity, called you in, he himself will do what? He will restore you. He will empower you. He will strengthen you and he will establish you. And so be emboldened today to throw, to throw your cares on him because he's got your end in, in, he's got it laid out. He's got the plan in place. He has the purpose. It's, it's detailed. He has your back. It is God who can say, I got this. That's why Paul, and I'm almost done, that's why Paul comes with, echoes a similar sentiment in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. He says, rather, bring all of your, up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions along with giving thanks. Always do those two together. Right? He says, if you do that, then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe, 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 safe. Because there's danger in that realm of worry. There is danger and peril in that realm of anxiety. Those things will destroy you and neutralize you and make your life a living hell and make you ineffective. He says, listen, that peace will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ. God, would you keep my mind safe? There's a lot of mental and psychological and emotional danger in the world all around me. That's why Jesus comes to us in Matthew 6.25 and in the midst of this whole passage in the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about take no thought for your life. Comes to us with the British accent, take no thought for your life. Many years you've been worrying about your life. But it just, I just, just take, this, just take this, one, this one statement out of the midst. And this is what Jesus says. He says, don't worry about your life. Easy for you to say, Jesus. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Did he say, don't care about your life? In one sense, that's not what he's saying. Uh, some of you got jobs. Would you please show up tomorrow morning? Thank you, because the, we'll be looking for the, you know, lead pastor Travis. Show up. You got kids, would you please feed them today? You got, you got, you know, you got responsibility. You got, you, you got uh, bills to pay. Would you please make sure you pay your bills? I don't, I don't want anybody calling me. Do you know so-and-so? Uh, yeah, but I don't know what it is. 
I got called by some, for somebody last week, and I, had, I really don't know where the person is. I don't know. I haven't seen Don't use me as a reference, man. Pay your bills. <laughs> Would you water your plants? Well, you don't have to today, but would you feed your dog and your cat, you know? Um, you make sure you change your oil in your car or whatever, you know. Uh, you know, do the things you need to do. Take, take your vitamins or whatever. I don't know. But, but then Jesus says, don't worry about your life. What's the difference? The normal process of tending to life is one thing. The, the normal cares and concerns of planning and thinking and strategizing and, and, and concern for people and care for people. Sometimes, sometimes bearing others' burdens, helping to bring those to Christ Doing that in Christ's stead. If you bear somebody else's burden, don't bear it in your own strength. You take that, take that with your own stuff. Take, like if, you come, if I'm going to Goodwill and I got a trunk full of stuff, you know, that I've stopped by your house, hey, I'm on the way, going away to Goodwill. And you say, well, here, take, take my stuff too. My house is cluttered too. I say, put it in here. And I'm not going to take your stuff back to my house. <laughs> Let me check this out. Might be something that I could use. <laughs> we take it all to Goodwill or to a dumpster somewhere and get up. Jesus said, don't worry about your life. I know we preach this stuff in church, folks, and it really does end up sometimes being abstract. It really ends up being a challenge for us to figure out how to put it into play and put it into practice in our lives. But I think the, the force of, of the word, and this is our, our one-word message, throw, Suggest that, they, that sometimes you just, you just go for it and do it with a kind of abandon. Sometimes you just say, God, I'm giving this to you. Sometimes I just say, I'm not going to stress over it. And you, it's going to come back and say, I told you, devil, I'm not going to stress over it. And you, sometimes, the, you know, it's like the burden keeps getting up and follow, following you. You just keep kicking it back. You keep throwing it back. You just keep working at it. Keep Cultivating the skill, keep practicing, keep doing it, keep taking your needs. That's why learn, developing the discipline of prayer in your life is essential because that's where you, you throw on your knees. That's a strange sport, I know, right? But this is where you throw from. This is where you do it from. You do it from down there. You, do, you throw when you're in the presence of God, when you're talking to him, when you're in worship. Then those things and those worries come into your mind and those anxieties and those cares and those things that are dogging you and messing with your mind and, and, and they're flooding your consciousness. You give those things to Jesus and you do it again and again. You keep throwing it and you keep throwing it back. I don't care. You throw it. It's like, because if, if I had a hand grenade, let's play toss. Let's play catch. Okay, here you go. Rich, I'm going to throw the hand grenade to you. It's live here. The rich is like, hey, got it. <laughs> oh, no, it's gone. Back, to, back at you, you know, like hot potato or something, right? That's what you got to do. The devil's going to keep throwing the stuff back at you. You keep throwing it back to Jesus because, that's, because he cares about you. Um, throw all your anxiety on him. Throw. That's it. Turn to somebody and say, throw. All right. All right. Let's pray. We're going to get you out of here. And as a, in response to, well, let, let's do a couple things here. First of all, in response to, to this, this word today, which basically is a simple reminder to aggressively and to energetically and to consistently throw 
anxiety and throw worry and throw fear and throw uh, all of our concerns onto God because God cares about us and God has big enough shoulders to handle it. The question is, again, I know, how do we really do that? Well, it starts in moments like these, places like this, people like us. It starts by slowing down enough to think and to reflect and to hear the voice of the Lord. Being quiet enough and being still enough and being in God's presence so that we can actually dialogue. We can allow him to engage us in dialogue about this stuff. Today, in some of your heads, there, there, are, there are some things that are looming very large. Anxieties. And, I, we, never, and we, we, we take all of this with the most earnest sincerity because... I mean, your pain is your pain. Your struggle is your struggle. Your need is your need. Your, your, your sickness, your, your, uh, your financial need, what's going on in, in, at your job and the way you're being treated, your, your, your future, your outlook. And, I'm, and again, we're not talking about being in denial. And if you're going through those kind of things, you know the enemy is working behind the scenes sometimes to animate that stuff, but then sometimes to use, if it's not him, sometimes it's just like twisted people messing with you. Sometimes it's just people like you who are sinners who just do things that, that end up having intended or unintended consequences in the life of people around them. But the enemy will take that and use that to try to create this, this world of anxiety and fear and anger and resentment and bitterness and all those things that will derail your, your life with God and it will neutralize your spiritual walk with Jesus. So I wonder, just close your eyes for a minute. Think about your life. Think about what you're faced with. Think about the areas, if I say the word anxiety, stress, what comes to mind? Fear, worry, what comes to mind? And saying that, whatever comes to mind now, just take that thing and if in, your, in your mind's eye picture, you're just placing that in your hand, all right? And then in your mind, just picture, just, just kind of you know, rearing back, just throw that. You say, what are you doing? You're throwing, where are you throwing it? You're throwing it to the devil? No. Because I'm not talking about your sin. That's already been thrown onto the cross. But that burden, you're throwing it onto God. You're saying, God, here, take this. Take it now. Take it today. Take it right now. I can't carry this any longer. It's, it's, it's killing me. It's, it's robbing me of my sleep. It's robbing me of my peace. It's destroying my relationships. It's disturbing my, 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 my life's Lord, Lord, take it. I give it to you, God, because you care about me, because you love me. And you're big and strong, and I'm too weak. You're God, and I'm not. So I just throw this anxiety onto you. Whatever it is, you say, was that enough? Well, now you're going to have to do some more work as you leave here today. Because you'll have to learn to keep throwing it back when it keeps trying to come back your way. You're going to learn how to, you're going to search the Scriptures and take these verses and Get them in your heart and in your mind and, 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 and begin to reverberate and regurgitate that scripture and begin to, 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 to verbalize and vocalize these truths to yourself and to the principalities and powers to remind you of who you are and to remind you of what benefits and blessings and privileges you have in Christ. But I wonder by a show of hands, who would say, Lord, today help me because I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready, I'm throwing something your way. I, I need to throw something your way. I need to throw something off. I need to cast a care on you. I need to cast a burden and anxiety on you, Lord, and I need your help. I need you to receive it. I need you to keep it. I need you to keep me from coming back and getting it out of your hands. 
Teach me to do what the old folks said, to take my burden to the Lord and leave it there. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of, it's a matter of who you are. It's a matter of whether we really believe that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine or whether that's just church talk. Take us beyond the church talk into the, to the journey of faith where we really begin to put this stuff into practice. In Jesus' name, that's what we ask. Do you agree with that? Yes. Say amen. Yes. Amen. All right. Bow your heads with me one more time. I just want to extend this invitation. If there's anyone here today, and you, the, the biggest transfer in the world is when we place our trust and faith in this man, Jesus, who died, who's God, who came into human flesh, who took on our humanity that he may ultimately bear our sins and carry us back to God. He reconciled us to our creator when sin had separated us and brought division, enmity between us. I, I wonder this morning, if, if there's anyone here, let me put it this way, if there's anyone here that you've never asked, if you've never asked this, 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 this Jesus, Son of God, to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never allowed him to take your sin, he, bore, he paid the price for your sin, but you have to receive that forgiveness by allowing him, by, 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 by admitting that you need his, 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 his gift of salvation, by, by, by accepting the gift of, of, of forgiveness, by placing your trust in him and turning your life over to him. If you've never done that and you'd like to do that today for the first time, I'd like to see your hand. I want to pray with you. Is there one here this morning? Is there one in Jesus' name? And then finally, is there anyone here, while you're still, we're still in a prayerful mood, moment here, uh, I wonder who would just buy a show of and say, Pastor, I, I just want, I want the prayer of God's people today, this week, for some needs in my life. If you have a need in your life, any need, just slip your hand up. Yeah, right. And you can, and as we look around at each other, because this is no secret, Father, we, 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 we reach out to one another as brother and sister in love, and we pray for each other in this moment. We ask that you would you would do what, what Peter wrote here in this, uh, in this verse, that, we, that you would restore, empower, strengthen, and establish your people this week. In the areas of our lives where we are broken, where the areas where we are disempowered, where we are weakened, where we are, uh, we, where we are dealing with disorientation and where we are confused, speak peace, speak order. Restore, empower, strengthen, establish in the name of Jesus. We receive that by your grace and by your power. And God, we so thank you for your presence in this service today. We are so grateful for the love that you've lavished on us through your son, Jesus Christ. We are so thankful for the destiny that is ours in you. Uh, that is so far, it's, it's, it's beyond any science fiction story we've ever read. What you have prepared for us is so out out of our understanding. That's why the Bible says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the good things that you have in store for us. And we know that, we, we believe that that's the eternal truth. But Lord, I, I think you've got good stuff in store for us this week. We're gonna, we may suffer. We're going to go through some stuff. We suffer for a little while. But after that, Lord, there, even this week, even today, there are momentary, there are these times when we're going to feel like frustrated, but, Lord, just keep, keep us coming back to that thing we sang about today. Joy, 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 joy. Overflowing whenever, I put, whenever we put our trust in you. We receive that today in Jesus' name.